Well, good evening. My name is Grant Carroll, and I am the Reform University Fellowship Campus Minister. And uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm, I'm appreciate having the opportunity to preach. I, I don't think it's that they heard I was a great preacher. I think it was that I was not at the last Ignite committee meeting. Uh, but for either way, I'm glad to do it. And so, uh, but if you would turn in your Bibles to Matthew 25, and while I do that, I'll tell you a little bit about what RUF is. Uh, Reform University Fellowship is the uh, college ministry of the Presbyterian Church in America, and I get to be on campus with guys like uh, David Sweeney and other campus ministries. And what our goal is to, is to reach students for Christ and equip them to serve. That's our motto. And what that looks like right now is me wandering around the campus trying to meet people. And um, I have students ask, is that what you do? I was like, yeah, that's what I do. I wander around campus. I get to do what you want to do. I get to be at campus all day and never go to class. Um, and some students still do that, though. Anyway, um, but I meet students, and we've been starting up Bible studies. And uh, so I appreciate, if you think about it, praying for Reform University Fellowship as uh, we seek to do what... Um, many other ministries are doing, which is to share the gospel with students and to help them grow instead of uh, backslide in college, uh, but to be a, a community where they can come and grow and, and find people that will encourage them in the faith. Uh, so that's what I get to do, and uh, so I'm, I'm grateful for that and really have felt, uh, getting to feel at home here in Jacksonville um, and in, this, in Calhoun County. Uh, but it's great, I came and heard that uh, there was already a, a great ministry, this Ignite ministry, and already churches coming together in the name of Christ and seeking to minister to the broken, to the needy, meeting uh, the needs that they see. And what we're going to see here in, um, in God's Word, that's exactly what we should be doing. And uh, we're going to be encouraged in that even more through God's Word uh, tonight. So turn with me, Matthew 25. And I'll be reading Matthew 25, 20, uh, verses 31 through 46. But before we do so, let's pray. And gracious God, uh, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you that you, through your Holy Spirit, you, Holy Spirit, you inspired the apostles and prophets to record your word. And you, Holy Spirit, have preserved it throughout the centuries that we now can open up our Bibles here in this room, here in, here in Alabama and hear you speak. Lord, thank you so much for this privilege. Lord, may the same Spirit that uh, caused this Word to be recorded, may the Holy Spirit uh, illuminate it before us tonight. May we uh, read it, understand it, store it in our hearts, and be changed by it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, 
when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. I don't think there's a more convicting passage, and maybe even a little scary, as we open up God's Word and hear these words of Jesus. Some of the very last things He said to His apostles before He went to the cross. Um, this is a passage that makes us pause, makes us think, am I, am I living out my faith? Am I living according to God's Word? It, it's, a, it's a measuring stick, if you will. What is the Christian life supposed to look like? And um, if you're like me, you're convicted by this passage, but also you should be encouraged. And as we look at this passage and unpack it, I want you to see um, three things. First, three things Jesus does here. Uh, three things regarding the coming of Jesus we need to hear. One, Jesus identifies himself as judge. Second, Jesus identifies his mission of reconciliation. And thirdly, Jesus identifies with, with the needy and the outcast. Those are the three things I want us, we're going to look at and see in this passage tonight. First, Jesus identifies himself as judge. So what Jesus is doing here... In, this, in, in chapter 25, um, he's giving a private explanation to the disciples in response to their question, tell us when all these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age. That's the question they pose in Matthew 24. And Jesus tells them in Matthew 24 of false prophets that will come and false Christs and wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes and tribulation and persecution of believers by unbelievers. But also, the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world. Those are the things he tells us. And you see right now what we learn is that all these things are happening now. Um, all these things are going on right now. The signs that we've lived with for 2,000 years. And so this tells us that, um, you know, Jesus, Jesus is, he keeps his word, right? <laughs> Jesus is accurate about what is to come. And all this that he describes is not something that we're waiting on, but really the condition of this fallen world since he uh, ascended into heaven. And what he tells us 
as we see this, as we see all these things unfolding, the good news, the thing we can take away, is that this tribulation, these uh, persecutions, the effects of the fall and creation, this time, the time of these things is short and limited. And that's the good news for us believers. Jesus is coming. And Jesus is coming to judge all the world. Now, I said that's good news, right? But who's that? The good, it's good news for believers, for the sheep, for those on the right. This, good, this is a joy to the believer. Um, it says all will be judged. All will be judged, but the good news is not, not all will come into judgment. And that's beautiful for you and me. Some of us wretched sinners will be welcomed into Christ's eternal community. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. That people that are broken, people that are messed up like you and me, will be ushered in. That we have been adopted by Him. That we've been redeemed by Him. All the trials and all the tribulation of this life, all that's broken in this world, all that we see in chapter 24 will come to an end. And we learn that this is not as good as it gets. This is not as good as it gets. And that's, I mean, that's, isn't that wonderful? <laughs> um, you know, maybe six, seven years ago when the economy was going really well, we're all going, this is awesome. <laughs> but for a lot of us, you know, like, we're like, no. Thank, thank God this is not as good as it gets. Too often we get caught up in our present trials, and our present struggle with sin. Too often we get caught up in this reality. But the good news we see in this passage to the believer, the joy that's to the believer is that this is short. This is limited. This is part. God, Jesus said all this stuff would happen, but He's coming and our sanctification will end and it will reach its goal, which is our glorification with Him. And we must live in light of this glorious future. We must live in light of what Jesus is going to do, what Jesus, His work and His process and building of His kingdom. So, seeing all these things and knowing that it's, it's broken and it's hard out there, but we know, you know what, it's going to come to an end. Jesus is going to come. And all things will be made new. Jesus coming as judge is good news for the believer. But this is sobering, dreadful news to the unbeliever. And if we refuse to talk about the reality of sin... If we refuse to talk about the reality of God's wrath against sinners, if we don't talk about it, we are not loving the unbeliever. Do you see their fate? Do you see the fate of the unbeliever? It's not that they're going to go, they're going to receive the same punishment as Satan and the demons. That all those who have rebelled against God will be, will be punished. They will be thrown into eternal death. You see, a pun the punishment they receive is not according to the amount or the extent of the sin, but it has to do with the one who they sinned against. That's the holy creator of the world. That's God. That's Yahweh. So we read this passage, and first of all, we just... If you're a believer here, you need to rejoice. You need to be just on your just singing out loud, praising God that you will stand before 
the judge and be declared not guilty. But you also need to hear that he's coming to judge the sinner and that needs to motivate us to share the gospel. It needs to motivate us to, to talk and talk about the reality, not just of redemption. Redemption means nothing apart from sin and apart of, 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 a, of a God who's going to judge sin. So we've got to be honest about this. And this is a sobering passage and dreadful news to the unbeliever. And so that's the first thing we see. The first thing we see, Jesus is the judge. Blessed news to us believers that he's coming again. Sobering, dreadful news to the unbeliever. This is something that we talk, we talk about the gospel, we talk to unbelievers. It might not be the thing you lead with. We've got to talk about the reality of sin and the, pun- and the punishment that's due to sin. Because that makes this cross and Jesus make sense. He identifies himself as judge. Not you and me. We're going to be judged by our maker. Second, Jesus identifies his mission of reconciliation here. What is the standard? What's the yardstick by which our Savior and judge determines if we are sheep or goats? The answer is, it's the way we love and care for the needy and the outcast. The way we love and care for the needy and the outcast. I'm not talking about works righteousness here. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ. Nothing in our hands we bring, simply to thy cross we cling. But how do we see, how, does, how, do, how are we judged as, being, as our faith being real and genuine? Is it just lip service? Does it surprise you when you read this? And, Okay, you've got to step back a minute because a lot of you have, have heard this passage all your life. Just try to read this with new eyes. Did, would you expect this to be the measuring stick by which Jesus determines those who are His and those who aren't? You mean, you probably would think it's something more spiritual, right? Surely there are other things. What about reading the Bible? What about... Going to church, telling the truth, obeying your parents, attending worship, attending Sunday school, being a good and faithful spouse, you know, more spiritual things, you know, churchy things. (laughs) Jesus gives us this standard because his mission is so much bigger and comprehensive than you and I think. See, Jesus' mission is not just to atone for the sins of believers. I'm not not downplaying that, but listen. He came to do much more than that. Listen to Paul speak about the person and purpose of our Lord Jesus Christ in Colossians 1. You can turn there with me. Colossians 1, verse 15. Speaking about Jesus, he says, He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And hear this, verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, 
making peace by the blood of His cross. You see, Jesus' mission is to reconcile all things to Himself. To bring everyone and everything in line with His will and purpose. To Basically, to undo the effects of the fall. To basically, you know, again, I'm, I'm kind of a, a Tolkien nerd, but like what Sam Wise Gamgee said in The Lord of the Rings, He's coming to make all the sad things come untrue. To make all the sad things untrue. And we see it in his ministry. He explains his mission and how John the Baptist is to know that he is the Messiah. He says this, you know, John's on death row. and wants to know, is, is Jesus really the Messiah? Is he the one that I've been talking about and been prophesying? And he sends back his, John's disciples and says, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. You see, the requirement for glory, the way we show that we have genuine faith, is that we must be about Jesus' mission of reconciliation. Our marching orders are to make of uh, marching orders to make disciples is not just a solely a spiritual exercise. Now this passage is not advocating a social gospel approach where we just help people and do things and never talk about Jesus and never share the gospel. But we are called to share the gospel by entering into the lives of people, giving our time, giving our resources and telling them about Jesus. We are to be at work reconciling broken, broken people and broken relationships and broken institutions, making all the sad things untrue. And that's what we got to do together on Saturday, a little bit. We got to take part in that and showing that we care and we love and we recognize this is broken and you're broken and I'm broken, but we want to, to be sharing in this work of reconciliation with Jesus. How do we begin, though, to integrate this into our lives? How do we begin to, to do this, not just once a quarter? How do we begin to do this on a regular basis? The answer is this. We've got to see that this mission is not just a job of the believer. Because for Jesus, it was personal. And that brings us to the third point. Jesus identifies with the needy and the outcast. Jesus says that this is how I know your faith is real. That you care for the needy, the outcast, the hungry, and the criminal. Why? Jesus says it's because those are my people. I'm like them. I identify with them. This is amazing, right? <laughs> Given that this is the Son of the living God, the one who, the, the, the eternal Word, the one who by whom and through whom all things were made. But he says, no, I identify with these people. It's amazing, yet it's, it's so fitting because it's so consistent with the life of Jesus, with who He is and how He lived His life. Remember Philippians 2, 
who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This, our Savior, he socialized with the harlot and with the tax collector. He touched and healed the leper. He came to heal the broken and to find the lost. See, that list here in, verse, in chapter 25 of Matthew, these are His people. These are the people He came after. See, Jesus entered into our mess. He became one of us to redeem us. And when we look at the needy and the outcast, we must see Jesus. The love and service that we give unto them is love and service unto our Savior. Um, I heard a story from uh, another RUF campus minister. I, I believe it was John Stone. It was up in Tennessee. And he had a large group meeting on a Tuesday night or something like that. Uh, and um, there was a guy who came who was um, um, a little off, um, mentally impaired a bit. He was very socially awkward. He made everyone feel uncomfortable. And he kept coming to RUF. He kept coming to the large group, and people kind of didn't know how to deal with him. Now, you know, the campus minister's going, man, this is really, you know, messing up our whole group dynamic here, you know, because we're trying to build people and attract people. It's the beginning of the semester. But his leadership team did not panic. They said, how are we going, how can we love that guy? And these students, these college students, started taking turns, giving him a ride to RUF, and then sitting with him and walking around with him and make sure he didn't make anybody feel uncomfortable and helped him learn how to socialize with people there, befriended him. And they took turns every week. And what they began to do at the, about midpoint of the semester, they began to refer to this guy as Jesus. Who's going to pick up Jesus for RUF tonight? Who's going to sit with Jesus tonight? Because they were really identifying in a real tangible way what it means to live this way, to see the broken, the outcast, the outsider, is Jesus. When we look at those people, when we look at people that make us feel uncomfortable, that are so different from us, culturally, relationally, no, we, see, we need to see Jesus. Because Jesus looked at us and our mess, and our brokenness, and entered into our life. He looked and identified with me. Why me? I don't know, but He does. He says, when you look at them, see me there. And there's something else here, though. If we are followers of Jesus, pursuing His ways, then we should be thinking like our Savior. And that means that like Jesus, when we look at the needy and the outcast, we identify with them. When we look at their hurt, their lack, their suffering, we see ourselves. The fact that you, might, that you are a have and not a have not is completely due to God's grace. You don't deserve it. You see, we are. We are weak and helpless. We were completely hopeless until Jesus loved us. We must take the light of the gospel that we read about in Matthew 5 to be a light, to take that light into the darkness. 
We're not called just to come and all collect our lights in this room or wherever your sanctuary is. But to take the light where there is no light. To love people the way Jesus has loved you. Jesus says, when I come again to judge, when I come again to to consummate my kingdom that I'm building, I'm going to know if you're mine, how you love the needy, the outcast, the undesirable. Why? Because that's who I identify with. Because that's really you. There's no one-size-fits-all application to this. We are called to respond to this mandate, this mission of Jesus Christ. We're called to care and love the needy and outcast. Some, some are called to pursue a poverty alleviation as a career. Some people have devoted their lives to figuring out how we can improve the lives of people, how we can train people, how we can help the poor. While others are called to volunteer. Some are called to engage in hands-on ministry. One volunteer like we did this weekend. There are many ways. Don't wait for someone to tell you it's time, but look for opportunities. There are people in your life that fit this description. They're already there. Jesus is the judge. Jesus identifies here his mission of reconciliation, and Jesus identifies with broken and needy people like us. Praise God. Let's pray.